A Goose Island property sells for $100 million, the city's biggest commercial property sale so far this year. This property on Goose Island checks both of those boxes, which is why the building just sold for $26 million more than it did just 20 months ago. And we'll go to the reporter's room with Stephanie Goldberg and A.D. Quigg to talk about how, while the Chicago Department of Public Health regularly reports how many COVID-19 vaccines have been administered, as well as demographic data of those vaccinated, until now, one important aspect of the city's vaccination effort has been shrouded in secrecy. We're continually asking the providers that we interview, you know, how many doses are you getting from the city? In some cases, how many doses you're getting from the state or different local health departments. And the answer a lot of times is, oh, I don't think that we're allowed to share that number with you. We'll talk about that, plus the vaccine controversy at Loretto Hospital and more. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Monday, March 29th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Stephanie, you cover healthcare and AD, you cover government. And the, the vaccination effort is right at the intersection of those two things. Um, Stephanie was brilliant enough to file a FOIA for this data because we have been, a lot of this stuff is kind of happening so quickly that we're in the dark and kind of unable to look back at who was getting what. We've, we regularly see numbers in terms of how many people have been vaccinated and demographic data around who who are those people that have received those vaccines. But it wasn't really clear, at least not until now, which providers got those shipments of vaccines and, and what happened at that point. And this fortuitously fell during a span of days that were so heavy with news about vaccinators in the city misusing their doses that when we got this data, we were elated, <laughs> elated from a news sense um, to find out that two of those vaccinators that got in trouble were two of the city's top vaccinators. Before this, we had no idea who was getting how many doses, um, where they were going, what kinds of providers they were going to. We had a vague idea because we've been talking to people that are doing these vaccination campaigns. But this is the first look we're getting at the city's breakdown and how it reflects this equity pledge that the city has been trying to take from the very beginning. They've said, we, we need to get this on the ground level. We need to reach people in communities hardest hit by COVID. And one of the ways we're going to do that is by getting this to a big, diverse roster of potential vaccinators. So for the first time, we actually know like how diverse that vaccinator list is and where in the city those doses have been deployed. Yeah, and I'll just add, like one of the the main reasons why we were so fascinated to get this information is that throughout our reporting, like we're continually asking the providers that we interview, you know, how many doses are you getting from the city? In some cases, how many doses are you getting from the state or different local health departments? And the answer a lot of times, I won't pick on, on any one provider here, but the answer a lot of times is, oh, I don't think that we're allowed to share that number with you. I just, I've constantly, Aidy and I both have been fascinated by that. What do you, what do you mean you're not allowed to share that number with us? Like, that seems like a really, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, is this not a public good? A couple of the people that we called who are providers who know their own numbers were like, 
wow, like you managed to get that list. And they were also like, oh, will you check and see how many so-and-so got? Because at the same time, this is also kind of a competition um, between folks who want to who want to be getting more doses and who are like, we're really good at this. We should be getting even more doses. It's there's some level of competition there too. The the competition part is just so it is so interesting to me too, because it's like not only has the public not been this this data not been shared with the public, but like individual providers don't know what their counterparts are getting. Like it's it really has been under wraps to a degree that like I, it is just fascinating. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. And we still don't have this data from the county or state. So keep in mind, the state gets the doses from the feds. The state then gives them out to counties, county local health departments, and the local health departments are responsible for distributing it all over the place. What's nice about um, Chicago is it's all self-contained. They're getting their own set of doses from the feds. So it's like less of a go-between, but we still would love to have this data for the rest of the state to know where people are actually able to get their doses. And it's probably worth noting that we that we have tried. Um, the city, actually, to their credit, is the only entity that responded to us, to our FOIA request. Pretty fast, too. Like, I was expecting this thing, Stephanie and I were both expecting this thing to drag out for weeks and weeks or just be straight up denied. So it was a pleasant surprise that we actually got our hands on this. And when we're talking about vaccine allotments for different providers, how many is that? Like, what 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 is normal for them to receive? That depends, provider to provider. So, like, one of the, the things that we found was that, like, large academic medical centers who were among the first to get doses because their workforce was eligible under the first phase of the city's rollout, they each got about, and, and I'll note, our, our data is as of March 12th. Um, but they each got about 60,000 doses over the course of that time, so mid-December to March 12th. Um, and then there were some other other types of providers that got quite a few doses, like Juul, for example, a re- retail pharmacy, 46,000 doses, Oak Street Health, a very fast-growing primary care network, 54,000 doses, um, ish. And so it, it kind of depends. Um, but we, we also did sort of a breakdown. AD is a, an Excel whiz. I'm going to let her take it away. Yeah. So basically what we got from the city was a big fat spreadsheet with a bunch of, um, provider names and the day that they got their dose shipments, basically. So the beauty of working in Google sheets is you can make these fun things called pivot tables and they do a bunch of analysis for you. Um, so I'm scrolling, 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 uh, 1,600 rows of data and columns all the way up to the letter M. So a ton of stuff to work with. But basically what we found is that as expected and as we'd heard anecdotally, the city's big academic medical centers, University of Illinois, University of Chicago, Rush, and Northwestern got the biggest share of doses. Uh, we were expecting that. We just didn't know what the raw numbers would be. Um, but then we found that there were some fast-growing primary care and immediate care providers like Oak Street Health, Innovative Express Care, which we'll talk about shortly, and One Medical that were also getting a bunch of doses. Um, We also found that Loretto Hospital, which has been in the news and which I'm sure we'll talk about, um, got more doses than any other safety net in the entire city of Chicago. So that jumped out to us pretty quickly. Um, More broadly, uh, it just showed how the city was kind of thinking, all right, we could start this rollout where we're supposed to, which is with healthcare workers. But after we do that, we need to figure out how we're going to get these doses to places um, 
and providers that can get these extremely vulnerable zip codes. So um, I can give you the general breakdown. So those big academic medical centers from the start have gotten about a quarter of doses. Um, safety nets have gotten 15%. Other hospitals have gotten 8%. But then retailers, so like Jewel, Walmart, Walgreens have gotten 10%. FQHCs and community health clinics have gotten 15%. And then these physician groups, which includes those fast-growing groups like Innovative Express Care, got 15%. So about 150 providers um, have gotten doses, and they're spread out all over the city. And the city has said, you know, this method, it might have seemed like we were slow to begin with, but this method is working. We are actually getting doses to the zip codes that are highest risk. And in all of that data, were you able to tell by location what percentage of those vaccines have been given? Like who is who is the most successful at, at getting people inoculated at this point? We do not have that data. So all we have is um, where the supply went. And then we also have an idea of where doses were eventually administered. But that's based on zip code data that the city keeps separately. So we kind of can get a sense of how successful people are by the regularity of their shipments. So like the city um, has said, we have certain efficiency goals where we want um, a certain percentage of our doses into arms within a week. And we're going to, we're going to reward to a certain extent vaccinators that do a good job. 85% is the goal. And and they told us that they're exceeding that. It's about what, 94, 80, 94? Yeah, 94 as of this week. They have said that they're trying their best to get this out to as many people as possible and as efficiently as possible. And they're rewarding the efficient folks, but we don't have a good window into, all right, now that it's been delivered to this provider, um, we don't have a sense of exactly how quickly they are getting those doses into arms. What we do know is what uh, zip code coverage of residents is like. And we also have a decent sense of um, how many non-residents are getting vaccinated too. That number was shocking to us. So we obviously were looking at the distribution data as of March 12th. So we tried to focus like all of our, you know, apples to apples comparisons at around the same date as well, just to make sure that we had a clear picture. And it was what, 30% of people who got vaccinated in the city of Chicago were not Chicago residents. That's a lot. That's a lot. And, you know, this, the city said we were expecting some of that. There are people that live in the suburbs who work in the city. Um, and there are people in Chicago that have also gotten vaccinated in the suburbs, but I was not expecting a full third. Um, and as we move forward, the city is going to be limiting um, who could get vaccinated at city pods to city residents alone. I think that is in part because they're like, we need to get our numbers up here as much as we can. Sure. that that I'm, I'm still kind of stuck on that, that 30%. That's a lot. Um, but let us pivot though, because you've mentioned two things that I want, uh, that I also want to talk about. I think um, the last couple of weeks, a lot has been said about Loretto Hospital and that effort, um, and also Innovative Express Care. You mentioned both of those, and I want to follow on them. Let's start with, uh, let's start with Loretto. So Loretto has obviously been in the news um, a lot lately. Flock Club Chicago broke a story a little over a week ago now that the hospital was vaccinating workers who would have been eligible under the city's phase 1C, so uh, hospitality workers, um, essential hospitality workers, he, that they were vaccinating them while the city was still in phase 1B. Um, 
And it caused a bit of a stir for two reasons. One, the eligibility piece of it. And then two, the fact that there was no way to prove necessarily that these were residents of Austin, which is the community that Loretto serves. I'm going to add a three. The fact that the first story that came out was occurred at Trump Tower made this all the more sexy and scandalous. But please that's continue. Very, that's very true. And something that we we should absolutely note. I do wonder what this would have looked like if it was any other hotel. Absolutely. I wonder that too. Yeah. So so that that sort of like opened opened the floodgates essentially. And then, you know, from there, Black Club, uh, WBEZ, others sort of found these other interesting nuggets of different groups that wouldn't yet have been considered eligible that were vaccinated by Loretto. Um, and it actually resulted in the city making a pretty drastic uh drastic decision to cut off first doses uh, to Loretto Hospital, which a lot of people, you know, rightly so argued, how is that going to impact residents in Austin? Is that going to limit their access to doses? And I think that's something that we're sort of staying tuned on. I don't know that we have a clear answer yet. And the fallout there, we've, we've, we saw some board reaction. We've seen a resignation at this point. Uh, we've seen actually two, right? Two resignations. Right. So we've seen the COO and CFO of Loretto Hospital um, resigning and also state rep LaShawn Ford, who is on Loretto's board, which is a pretty politically stacked board, also deciding to resign. It's brought up a lot of stuff, right? So it's not only that Loretto was um, vaccinating people not immediately in Austin. They were vaccinating people that were close to the COO. They were vaccinating people in neighborhoods that are the exact opposite of the ones that the city was trying to focus on. And they're doing it at a time when supply is so scarce that any deviation is like an insult to everyone else who is eligible. Um, and it's also coming as we're starting to see a kind of creep up increase in cases. So when you think about um, the, the folks most at risk, you don't want to be picturing people that work at fancy steakhouses in the Gold Coast or who live in Trump Tower. You know, eligible as they may be under the next phase of the rollout, that 80 hit the nail on the head there. I mean, and then the other thing that we need to talk about is Innovative Express Care, which is, uh, you know, Lincoln Park-based network of clinics. And uh, not too long ago, we were writing about the fact that they won this contract to vaccinate CPS employees. And, you know, several weeks later, here we are, we find out that they allegedly misallocated some of the doses that were meant for those employees. All of the vaccine doses that were not used by CPS at the end of each week went to another eligible patient for their first dose. We always ensured that there were enough allocations for additional doses for all of CPS employees. It's important to note that the clinic disputes the allegations from the city. Um, they say that when doses were left over at the end of the week after CPS employees were offered and declined, um, that at that point they went to other eligible patients who you know, would have been considered eligible for, for shots under 1B, so people 65 and older, some essential workers, um, and of course anybody who would have still been eligible from 1A healthcare workers. So, I mean, that's another story I think we're going to see play out. But they too have had their doses cut off by the city now. And they were, you know, a, one could argue, a pretty efficient administrator of vaccine doses. They got 32,300 doses from the city as of March 12th. Yeah, they were ranked number 10 on the list of like top dose getters in the city. So having that cut off is pretty dramatic. And the city has had to kind of, in the case of both Loretto and Innovative Express, they had to say, well, crap, who's going to give these doses now? Because it's it's still urgent. People still need those appointments. And there was some scrambling 
um, at CT uh, at CPS over CTU members getting vaccinated because, as you'll recall from a few months ago, teachers getting vaccinated was a big portion of how the city was able to strike up a deal with them and welcome students back in person. And so what is the plan for, for that allotment of doses? Where are they going to go now? I mean, C- CPS aside, what about people in those communities? The city has said they are reallocating their doses for Loretto that were supposed to be intended for the Austin community to rush. One clarifier, that's the Protect Chicago Plus doses. So I don't know at this point, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we know where the doses that were being allocated to Loretto Hospital are going yet, do we? So Loretto wasn't only responsible for being a vaccinator at the hospital setting alone. They were considered a Protect Chicago Plus vaccinator, which is um, the city's effort to vaccinate people in high-risk communities. Austin is one of those communities. So the city said this week they were reallocating um, the Protect Chicago Plus doses that were meant for Loretto to Rush University, which has been another one of the top vaccinators. I don't know if we know where the doses intended for Loretto Hospital are meant to go. The Innovative Express Care doses, I think we heard, are going to Chicago Internal Medical Practice and Research. So they, they had to scramble at the last minute, and there were teachers that were complaining, hey, I had a vaccination appointment set up that got canceled at the last minute. And adding any more confusion to the already confusing vaccination process is not great. And then what's going to happen when we move into 1C? The Hunger Games. Yeah, it's going to, I think, for the first couple weeks at least, the way Dr. Arwady put it in a, in a briefing with Alderman last week was it's going to be a little scrambly. Well, and she's she's been pretty upfront throughout this whole process saying, yes, today you're eligible, but the majority of people are not going to get access to shots until April, May. Yeah, late April or May. But the, the first couple of weeks, I would not be surprised if we saw another series of stories like we saw at the start of 1B or 1B plus more broadly in the state where it's like, I thought there were supposed to be appointments ready. I thought this was the time, but it's not the time yet. I would say you can look, you should look, but don't expect um, don't expect things to get easier until late April, early May. And and so many people are so kind of celebratory about it on social media. I've seen so many people going, I've got my vaccine appointment. It's happening whatever day. And then they, you know, show a picture of their arm with a Band-Aid on it. Hopefully not their card. Don't tweet your vaccine card. Don't do that. Um, but, you know, people are are excited about it. I think they'll be so disappointing to be like, I'm going Tuesday. And then I'm not going Tuesday. I'm going next month. That would be a lot. My dream scenario is that one will get some big influx of Johnson & Johnson vaccines. And I will have not made an appointment because I'm waiting my turn and I'm being so ethical and letting all these other people get in front of me. But I'll just be at like Walgreens or CVS or something. And they'll make an announcement as I'm shopping for chocolate or something like, hey, we have additional Johnson Johnson vaccines at the end of the day. We have a few appointment cancellations. If anyone would like them, come up and get them. And then I just go get it. AD, call call me when that happens and I will meet you there, okay? You know, you, you said Johnson & Johnson. It reminded me of another part of this data that we have not even dug into yet, but that AD and I were geeking out over. We know who got what, who, who got which vaccines. So we know where all those coveted Johnson & Johnson uh, shots are going, um, largely to the city itself. The city, the Chicago Department of Public Health uh, kept a large chunk of those. And um, some of the reasons why we know they uh, used them to send strike teams out to like L platforms to try and vaccinate homeless residents, um, which experts largely agree was a great use of those shots. You know, people that you're not going to have access to for a second dose. Um, what other th- types of things are they using those for, AD? Airports. Um, 
There was a big push a few weeks ago, uh, our colleague John Pletz reported on, to have United and uh, American Airlines employees vaccinated. And again, it's a great use of Johnson & Johnson because it's people traveling all over the country with crazy schedules who may or may not be able to book that second dose. So about a third of the Johnson Johnson doses, very few at that point on March 12th that the city got, um, went to basically airport clinics. But I have heard from you know friends in other places where, in Indiana specifically, where um, eligibility has opened up by age bracket that people have had a surprising amount of luck just like wandering around at a Walmart and there'll be a PA announcement like, hey, we've got some doses, come on over. I think when we get in April and May, there's a good chance that happens a little bit more. Well, if you are in a store when that announcement comes through, AD, I imagine it's going to be Hunger Games. <laughs> so many people throwing groceries over and diving towards the pharmacy. AD is Get a runner. She could, she could make it work. You're fast. I'm, I would put my money on you for that one. You know what another a very important part of this data is that we haven't talked about yet is just the number of federally qualified health centers that the city has tapped to distribute doses, just from from an equity standpoint too, which obviously has been at the forefront of the city of Chicago's campaign. They have really taken advantage of the vast network of FQHCs um, across the city to try and reach residents who maybe don't have a primary care provider or maybe are undocumented and don't feel comfortable showing up to, you know, a large hospital to get a shot um, and their own patients as well, um, of course. But I think that's another really important part of the city's campaign and, and something that we've heard from people has been very successful. Every big city has struggled with this. Big cities are big, <laughs> they're diverse, and there's people without what they call a medical home who might not have a primary care provider or a hospital who would be pinging them saying, hey, check into your my chart. We have doses for you. So the city has had to, I think by necessity, spread these doses out to a bunch of different kinds of people to try to fill in all the gaps that we know exist. All right. So now is the time we, we wrap up with the, a little bit of a lightning round. The three stories from the past week-ish that are not on your beat that really stuck out to you. I can go first if you want, if you want. Yeah, please go first. Okay. I'm, I'm reviewing my Twitter likes to see what I was reading. Besides Loretto, because I thought that story was so interesting and every shoe that dropped, it got more and more interesting. Um, I'm going to say um, the Suez Canal story in which there is- You stole mine. Yeah, there is a, a boat. Oh my God. AD sent me a meme from that one yesterday. I can't get over that. I can't stop reading every single thing I can find about this story and just- the stakes of it, of, of the potential impact to goods and shipping around the world. That is stunning to me. The other one, I would say Crane's story um, that Wendell Hudson did about uh, Billie Jean King becoming an advisor investor at First Women's Bank. That is super interesting to me. And then um, also all the freebies that are starting to circulate about people giving... Um, like rewards to people that have gotten vaccinated. Some are- Yeah, donuts, all this donut. Yeah, like some are employers, but then some are just like Krispy Kreme saying, hey, come by and show us you got vaccinated. The funniest one I've seen is a uh, marijuana dispensary in Michigan that says, if you're over 21 and you come by and show us you've been vaccinated, we'll give you a joint. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually probably a great campaign. <laughs> That's probably going to work. <laughs> the problem with how I read no news now is like, all the news I imbibe is vaccine or COVID related. And all the secondary news I get is from being on Twitter and seeing memes about things. So like when this big Krispy Kreme debacle happened, 
I kept on seeing hilarious stuff like the onion did a headline that was like Krispy Kreme offers vaccinated customers free ride on glazed conveyor belt. And it's just a picture of a person laying down and like going under the glazed conveyor. Right. Um, Suez Canal, same thing. It was like someone had superimposed like cargo containers on top of a GIF of Austin Powers, like trying to reverse in that hallway on that giant truck. So that is how I've been taking in the news of late. Again, with AD, like I, my life in all of our lives have been consumed, you know, with, with healthcare news and vaccine coverage. And so sometimes I just need a little bit of levity and I have been like obsessively following every incremental update of Cinnamon Toast Crunch Gate this week. I can't stop reading about it. Like I, I am obsessed. I want this to be my new beat. Like once we get the vaccine rollout under control, I only want to write about weird things people find in cereal. Oh, with the shrimp tails. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Wait, the craziest part though, guys, again, I've been following every twist and turn. This isn't even the first time that like some shrimp related product has shown up in cereal. What the heck, right? The company made it so much worse for themselves the way they were like, it's a sugar, what did they say? Like, it's a sugar glob or something. He was like, no, it's a shrimp tail. It's really hard. It's really hard when you have a photo of, of a shrimp tail to try and call it something else. Don't, yeah. Don't sugarcoat the shrimp tail. I was trying to think of a good one. Thanks, AD. <laughs> <laughs> this is why people tune in to this podcast. <laughs> Coming up in today's top stories, vacationers want nonstop flights that avoid big airports, and United is granting that wish. Remember, Crane's Daily Gist has a newsletter. It's The Morning 10. They're the 10 stories that will fuel a smarter workday. To subscribe, visit chicagobusiness.com slash morning 10. Imagine if you had a Google Maps for your business, visualizing your path, guiding you to your destination while constantly optimizing your route to avoid accidents or traffic jams. Salonis's execution management system does exactly that. It pulls data from your existing systems, visualizes any business process, and automatically recommends or automates actions to take to achieve your business goals. Companies like Uber, Dell, Siemens, and L'Oreal are using Salonis to improve their processes and maximize their company's potential. Visit salonis.com slash get dash started to learn how your company can unlock its full potential. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Industrial giant Prologis has claimed one of the largest properties on Goose Island in a deal that means a large profit for the investors that bought it just 20 months ago. In the city's biggest commercial property sale so far this year, San Francisco-based Prologis paid nearly $100 million for the fully leased, just under 340,000 square foot warehouse and office building on Evergreen on Goose Island. That according to sources familiar with the deal who spoke to Cranes. Cranes commercial real estate reporter Danny Ecker has the story in detail at Chicago. ChicagoBusiness.com. So commercial property sales are still way down during the pandemic, but there are a couple types of buildings that have been selling the whole time at a premium, which are fully leased buildings with solid tenants and industrial warehouses where companies can store and distribute goods that are bought online. This property on Goose Island checks both of those boxes, which is why the building just sold for $26 million more than it did just 20 months ago. And you've got a major buyer in Prologis, which is the biggest owner of industrial real estate in the country, saying, we like the stability of this property full of tenants with leases for several years, but 
We also recognize the value of having a big warehouse that is centrally located in a dense, affluent area. And by the way, Goose Island has shown some office leasing momentum recently when uh, there's not been a lot to speak of in the heart of the Central Business District. So you can understand why the value of this property has surged, and it's a really good sign if you're a commercial landlord nearby. Electric vehicle maker Rivian has made a deal with U of I to use its COVID-19 saliva tests in its factories in Illinois and California. The Amazon-backed startup donated half a million to U of I's Shield COVID-19 testing program to launch and support a new lab at Illinois State University, which is close to the company's plant in downstate Normal. The lab opened January 11th and is now processing about 5,000 tests per week from Rivian's 3.5 million square foot manufacturing plant in Normal. Rivian is also using the university's saliva-based test in its operations in California. The automaker also has facilities in Arizona, Michigan, Vancouver, and England. It aims to launch a trio of new vehicles out of its Illinois factory, aiming to make as many as 40,000 in its first full year, or an average of almost 800 per week. A U of I spokesperson said in an email that Shield Illinois is charging private companies 30 bucks a test plus the cost of collection. The program currently has two private company customers, Rivian as well as agricultural giant ADM. Other partners include public entities like universities, colleges, K-12 schools, and government bodies, which pay $25 a test plus collection costs. After putting industry pressure on brick-and-mortar retail landlords, Amazon could make some money for the owners of two suburban Chicago shopping centers. The owner of Wheatland Marketplace in Naperville is looking for investors to recapitalize the property, home to the first Amazon Fresh grocery store in Illinois. And in Schaumburg, the owner of Schaumburg Corners, where the state's second Amazon Fresh opened just two months ago, is already looking to cash out, hiring a broker to sell the property. A listing for a retail property that includes Amazon is a tenant could command a higher price than one that doesn't. Schomburg Corners could fetch as much as $40 million, which is a big jump from the $26.3 million it sold for just over a year ago. The Naperville and Schomburg properties also highlight the split within the shopping center market between what's considered essential retail and, well, everything else. Investors have favored essential retail, a category that includes grocery, drugstores, and home improvement stores, businesses that have all held up well during the pandemic. Chicago-based United will expand domestic flights that bypass its airport hubs, reversing the traditional network strategy of big U.S. carriers and extending a push to entice more leisure travelers to fly. Starting in late May, United is planning 26 nonstop flights from seven Midwestern cities to three destinations in South Carolina, one in Florida and one in Maine. That according to a company statement last week. The new service follows the November edition of direct flights to Florida from the East and Midwest that avoid the company's hubs here in Chicago as well as in Newark, New Jersey. The move reflects demand from vacationers for nonstop service that keeps them away from large and potentially congested airports amid the pandemic. In May, United said it'll operate 52% of its schedule compared with the same month in 2019, pre-pandemic. The company flew 14% in May 2020 compared with the previous year, and domestically, total flights in May of this year will be 58% of the 2019 level, according to United. The airline's new nonstop service will focus heavily on Cleveland and Cincinnati, which is a former Delta hub. Other flights will serve Columbus, Ohio, as well as Indianapolis, Milwaukee, St. Louis, and Pittsburgh.
And that's Crane's Daily Just for Now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guests, Crane's reporters Stephanie Goldberg and A.D. Quigg. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And be sure to find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.